0: I think we as Baptists sometimes are afraid to become Or to be called Pentecostal When we talk about the Holy Spirit I don't know what it is about being a Baptist But I grew up all my life in a Baptist church. I think the first week I was born, I was placed in a Baptist church in the nursery, and I've been in the Baptist church ever since. There was a time in my life as a as a teenager when I sought out some other um, Christian faith and sort of examined other you know denominations, but always came back to the Baptist faith because I believe that we as Baptists believe exactly more closely what the Bible has a tendency to convey to the church. But I've always been Baptist and one of the things I noticed that as Baptists we sort of shy away from the Holy Spirit And I don't know why we do that I think we primarily do that out of fear And whenever someone brings up the Holy Spirit we're to talk about the Holy Spirit Or what the Holy Spirit does and all of those complexities We have a tendency to be afraid of the Holy Spirit Or especially being accused of being something that we don't want to be And that is charismatic or Pentecostal Well, I think most of us should be more Bapticostal than just Baptist. Because I think the third person of the Trinity is as critical to us, not only in our salvation, but also in how we live out our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ in the world in which we live today. It is imperative. He is imperative in order to encourage, to empower, to energize, to encourage, and to equip us in order to live the life that God has called us to live. We see in Acts chapter 1. That Jesus has been spending 40 days preparing for his exit. Jesus is aware that in 40 days his physical presence is going to be gone. He's, he's not going to be with the disciples. And he has promised them in John 14, 15, and 16 that in his absence he's going to send them a helper, a comforter in the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure they quite grasped what he was talking about back then. But the reality is that he's about to leave them Physically, they'll no longer be able to tangibly see him and touch him and hear his audible voice. And yet he has given them an incredible mission that is beyond their capability in the natural in and of themselves to fulfill. I mean, Jesus himself came to fulfill a mission. He came not by accident. He wasn't an oops from God. He came intentionally designed, desired, and And devoted to fulfilling the mission that God had given him. And and he did that until he finally went to the cross and he died and he rose from the dead. And now having been raised from the dead, he is now spending 40 days with his disciples encouraging them not only in commanding them about how they are to fulfill the mission but now helping them understand that they are going to receive an empowerment an enablement a supernatural presence in the person of the Holy Spirit that he alone will enable them equip them and empower them to fulfill that which he is commanding them to do. He knows that in the natural, there is no way in and of themselves they can muster up enough discipline or desire or determination or all of those gut-wrenching things that we often have a tendency like courage to muster up and, and to charge the hill and, and to attack the enemy. He knows in spite of all of their best effort, they themselves do not have what is necessary to fulfill the mission. And it's imperative. It's, 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 what's another word for imperative? It's a. Uh, because imperative is a difficult word for children it's, it's, a, it's a necessity that he give the person of the Holy Spirit in order to not only live out the life that they need to live out a life of living out the gospel and its reality in their personal lives but uh, living out the gospel in the reality of fulfilling the mission which he has given them which he himself sought to fulfill in his earthly ministry so let's take a look at this passage in Acts chapter 1 verse 6 Seven and eight, and as we do, I want to sort of highlight one verse. It's probably the critical, the key verse more than likely in the book of Acts that we find. And I think that that more than likely most of the book of Acts is built upon this one passage, Acts 1 8. And tucked away in this little verse is some incredible insight as to the empowering presence of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer and in the life of Christ's church. So I want to take a look at Jesus describing this incredible presence of the Spirit of God in the life of his disciples. So let's take a look at Acts 1, verse 8. We're going to look at half of the verse today, just half of the verse, so it won't be very long. Jesus described God's empowering presence as, number one, as the promise, as the promise of the Spirit for his disciples. It is a promise. He says, but you will receive. I like the word you. Uh, now, in, in the original language, you will receive is all one word it's not three words like it is in the english and it helps us understand that this word you is a plural word in the word that jesus is saying you will receive this is a plurality it's a plural meaning more than one and i think what he's conveying to his disciples is that this promise of the holy spirit isn't meant for one or two for special causes or for special dispensations or maybe even for a special part of the mission this promise of the holy spirit is to every one of his disciples I think we have a tendency sometimes when we think about the, the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit, that, it, that we would all say, you know, it's intended for him and for her or for them, but it's not for me. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for every one of us who are his disciples. This promise wasn't just to Simon Peter or just to John or just to Mark, but it was to all of the disciples who were present at this particular time. But all of you will receive. That is a promise, it is a futuristic act in which God is going to endow them with the presence. Of the person of the Holy Spirit. You will receive. It is a futuristic thing. And we know by reading Acts 2. That it's going to happen 10 days later. In Jerusalem. When they're in the upper room. In the day that we call Pentecost. This is a promise from Jesus. At this particular moment. As he's about to say goodbye. Don't worry about my absence. You're not going to presently see me physically with you. But I promise Like I did in John 14, 15, and 16 I will send a helper A person who will represent me in the form of the Holy Spirit And he will be with you He will be with you I will be with you through him The Father will be with you through him I promise you, you will receive him in ten days Now, what does that mean to us today? It was spoken to the disciples back then and as we read this into contextualization and trying to bring some application into us today, what does that mean to us today? All of us have disciple, as disciples have a promise of the Holy Spirit. So when do we receive him? Notice Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Now, before you read verse 13 and 14... In understanding what the Apostle Paul under inspiration of the Holy Spirit is helping convey to us in the first 12 verses Is that God has endowed all of us through Christ all of these wonderful blessings These spiritual blessings have all come to us as a result of our faith in Jesus And because of our faith in Jesus he has given us so many wonderful things Our calling, our predestination, our giftedness, all of these wonderful things come from the Father through faith in the Son. And then he says, in him you also, whom you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Notice you heard when you heard the gospel, Romans 10:16 says, faith comes by hearing. Someone shared Jesus with you with their mouth, with the open word. You recognize that you were a sinner. You realize that Christ died on the cross for your sin. You place your faith and trust in him. Notice you believed in him. He took upon himself your sin against God And died in your place And because now that gospel brought you your salvation You believed in him Notice you are now sealed with the promised Holy Spirit You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit That presence and that promise Is for those of us who were in Christ We were sealed, we were marked Or you might want to say we were tattooed with the promise, the permanent promise of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 says, notice what it says. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Act, uh, we see in Romans 8, 1, which is that familiar verse that all of us know, which, which is what? There is therefore now no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And he begins to talk about our freedom in Christ. We have been set free from the condemnation and the consequences of our sin against God. And now, as free, you, however, are no longer to live in the flesh. We're no longer to live life in the natural. We're no longer to live life as sinful beings. We are to live life in the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit dwells in you. That word dwells means that he has made his home in you. He's made his home in you. There's no place like home. Isn't that what Dorothy said? There's no, come on, Kansas. There's no place like home. There's no place like home, right? She was clicking her heels, and where did she go? She went home. Now, if I were to come home with you today, is that my home? No, it's not. It's your home. Let's say if I went home, I'm inviting myself over to your house for lunch, And I were to happen to go into those places where you've closed the door and you don't want guests in. Or those junk drawers where you hide your stuff in. Or to go in your private places that, you know, only you can go in. Why don't people like myself who are guests go into those places? Because that's not my home. You see, the Holy Spirit, we are his home. He dwells within us. He is supposed to be at home in us that's where he's made his home and he's free to roam to go and to do whatever he wants i don't know about you but my kids when they were growing up they and you're some of you know what i'm talking about they get through eating lunch and you're still sitting there talking trying to you know after the after they're gone they're standing in the refrigerator the door open and you say what are you doing i'm still hungry right and do you scold them for looking for something to eat in the refrigerator? I don't know why. Because that is their home. They, they have any, anything that is yours is theirs. They have access to everything. And so, so that's what the Spirit is. He dwells within us. That's the promise of dwelling, making his home, his residence in us. And notice it's interesting. Anyone who does not have the Holy Spirit doesn't belong to him. If you do not have the Holy Spirit residing in you, if he's not at home within you, built a permanent residence in you today, then you are not a Christian. Now there are some who want us to be convinced that, that the Holy Spirit is the second blessing. It's something that happens post-conversion. That's not what the Bible says because the Bible, as we just read, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, if He's not at home with you through faith in Christ, building a residence, a home inside of you, if He's not there, you're not a, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. He is not a second blessing. It is a promise that is given to those of us who put our faith and trust in Christ. As our Savior, He comes and built His home in us. Romans eight sixteen said, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Our spirit... Our souls bear witness with His Spirit that we belong to Him. How do you know that you belong to Him? There's a tug. There's a presence. There's a peace that helps us, gives us the assurance, the understanding, the confidence that the Holy Spirit of God, through faith in Christ, has made His home in us. What's the promise for us today? Through faith in Christ, He builds His home in us. So turn to your neighbor and say, is he at home in you today? All right, that's the promise of the Spirit. Secondly, let's look at the power of the Spirit through his disciples. The power of the Spirit through his disciples. Notice Jesus said, but you will receive power. You will receive power. Kids, that word for power simply means dynamite. What it means, dynamite. Fourth of July, we had some people setting off firecrackers in our neighborhood during Christmas. There's a lot of power in those kinds of things. Why? Because once you light it and it goes off, it impacts, it influences everything around it. That's what dynamite does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He is an associated with a force that resides within us that not only impacts and affects us, but it affects everything around us it is a possession of a controlling influence that that is a supernatural force that is beyond our natural means or beyond our natural ability. in other words there is something within me because i possess the presence of the holy spirit that enables me and empowers me to do more than i could do in myself without him in other words i have a power, I have a, a person, I have someone who resides in me that empowers me and enables me, strengthens me to be able to do more than I would be able to do in and of myself or alone. It's like dynamite. Notice Ephesians 3.16, here's the passage. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We know the disciples had incredible power as we read throughout Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, and beyond. They had incredible power. And most of the power that they had is manifested through incredible, miraculous things that they did, they did miraculous things. But the power they also had is associated with being able to proclaim or to speak the gospel with power. And as they spoke the gospel, they spoke it not in their own natural power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as it went forth, it had incredible impact. Matter of fact, the first sermon that Simon Peter preaches after Pentecost has close to 3,000 people are saved in that first sermon. Who could do that other than Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit? So the power was evident. Who, who could say, you know, silver and gold have I none and said to a, a lame beggar, rise and walk. And so they did incredible miraculous things that, that, that the Spirit empowered them to do that. But they also understood that the power was to proclaim and to project and to declare the gospel what, where, did, where does our power come from? How do we like them have that power? Notice in this, in this text, he may, he will grant you to be strengthened with power. We as believers in Christ are to be strengthened with power. How? Through his spirit. We talked about that extensively last week. I don't need to go into that again. But Christ operated through the power of the Holy Spirit. We like him operate through the power of the Holy Spirit. Where? In our inner Being in our inner man, inside of us. Where is the power source? It's in here. Through the person of the Holy Spirit. He's on the inside. He's inside your soul. Remember, he promised that if we put our faith and trust in Christ, he would build his home within us. And now he's within us, the Holy Spirit. And now his power operates through us in us, Not from outside but from inside through us It's not self-discipline It's not self-determination It's the Spirit of God that works in us and through us To achieve and accomplish what we cannot do on our own without Him Notice another passage in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21 An interesting passage It helps us understand this a little bit more fully the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Have you ever sat down and just imagine what you, you know, just imagine what God could do? Have you ever done that? Just sat down and say, You know, I imagine God, you doing all of these incredible things. Or, or maybe God, not only do I imagine that, but God, I, I, I'm praying that you do miraculous things. Well, the Apostle Paul is telling us that God can do even more than what we imagine or pray. And I think sometimes we don't, we, we don't think as big as God is. Is that fair? I think sometimes in our prayers and our thoughts about what God could do in us and through us and with us and in his church and our community and with the gospel, I think sometimes we minimize the sovereign power of God because God is not only unstoppable, but he is limitless in what he can do. There are no limitations to what God can do. I mean, he, 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 he can work in unlimiting ways and do great things in his sovereignty. But notice, how does he do those? According to the power at work within us. at The power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. How does he work that? You ever wondered where the electricity comes that turns on the light bulb? We don't really think a lot about that. We just switch on the switch and we expect there to be electricity unless we haven't paid the light bill for the electricity to flow. Has anybody ever seen electricity? you ever seen it how do you know he exists you've touched a hot wire before <laughs> you've felt this existence you see where I'm coming from we often may not physically see the manifestation of the presence of the spirit of God like electricity but we know he's there because we we can sense and we know that it's there And he operates in us and through us. And when we tap into him, that energy, that empowerment, that enablement, that equipping flows through us and makes incredible things happen. Notice, for the glory of God and for the upbuilding of his church. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ. The Holy Spirit always, 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 I'm going to say that one more time, always glorifies Jesus. Always. And Jesus always glorified the Son. He doesn't draw attention to himself. But he also does it to edify and to build up the church. And so here we see this incredible power at work through us as his disciples number three notice the prerequisite of the spirit on his disciples there's a prerequisite he said but you will receive power when the holy spirit you will receive power when there's a when here don't jump over the wind too quickly because the wind is, is is huge he says when when what when you go to Jerusalem and you wait there 10 days. They don't know how long they're going to have to wait, but, but he knows you're going to have to wait 10 days for the promise to finally arrive. And so they go to the upper room and they wait 10 days. And so for 10 days, they, they, they have to be in Jerusalem. We, we alluded to this, I think, in this study a couple of Sundays ago, that, that the promise of the Spirit wasn't in Judea or Samaria or somewhere else. The promise of the Spirit was for them to go to the upper room and to wait for the promise of the Spirit in Jerusalem, in the upper room, the place that he directed them. So the prerequisite to the Holy Spirit, I believe, to seeing his power work through us, Is obedience I think one of the main reasons why many people today are powerless Even though they may have placed their faith and trust in christ as their savior And his spirit now has built a residence a dwelling a home in their hearts And they find themselves powerless to live out the life that god has called them to live in christ And they find themselves powerless to accomplish the ministry the mission that he wants to do through them is because of disobedience notice for when you receive what the holy spirit don't overlook the word holy the spirit of god is holy and he brings holiness and he requires holiness in order for him to operate in and through us And there are many today who are choosing disobedient lives, and because of that, they are frustrated, they are discouraged, and they are defeated in their walk with Christ because there are things in their lives that they're not dealing with that are sin, that are violations to the standards, the principles, and the precepts of God. And as a result of that, they are operating in the natural, not in the supernatural, because they're being disobedient. The Spirit of God is a holy, aspect of the trinity of god and he requires holiness from us any act of disobedience hinders stifons cripples the spirit of god from operating in and through our lives he is holy he is pure he is consecrated notice titus 3 4 interesting verse it says here but Titus is in verses 1, 2, and 3. He talks about this incredible salvation and that we've been set free from sin. And then he says, but when the goodness of the loving kindness of God. We used to operate like this in the flesh and we used to live a sinful life. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, notice it says, he saved us saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy when we were saved we were saved by grace through faith in that and not of ourselves but it's the gift of God Jesus has done it all we don't have to do anything at all except put our faith and trust in his atoning death on the cross where he died for our sin and as a result of that he did it all he has done it all we don't have to do anything it's not by what we do but it's why what he has done right But notice now what it says, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly or generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Notice the work of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is at work in the process of our salvation? God the Father loved us He sent His Son God the sin. Son died for us on the cross And rose from the dead And God the Spirit Notice I wish we had time We're going to come back to this in, in a couple of weeks When we come back to this After a, uh, we're going to do a, a seven week thing Coming up in between here and, and now But we're going to come back to talking more About how the Holy Spirit works And, and leads us and guides us At the end of our, um, our uh, I'm trying to figure out what, 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 what I call it Um, We're going to have a seven-week discipleship thing. My mind's just blank. Sorry, because I'm into this. But notice that the Holy Spirit at salvation has a part of of regeneration and renewal. Remember when when Jesus and... and, uh, in John three, they had that discussion with the Pharisee, and he said, "You know what? You know." He said, "Well, you got to be born again." And he said, "Born again." He said, "Yeah. Who, who does that? Who births us again? Who who creates that new birth in us? The Holy Spirit. Who cleanses us of our sin? The Holy Spirit. He regenerates. He rejuvenates. He breathes life into our dead bodies. He turns on the light in our darkness." And it's the work of the Holy Spirit operating through the salvation process where He is regenerating and renewing us through. The Holy Spirit. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, brings new life into our dead bodies, and He pours out His Spirit upon us at salvation. And that Spirit is a part of our salvation. But then notice, not only is it a part of our salvation, but notice in First Peter chapter 1, verse 2, According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Notice that word, sanctification. Now, we could talk about all the, but I don't have time to do that. Or we'd be here till about four o'clock, and I'm, it might be me and one other person, maybe my wife, because I have the car keys. But after salvation, the Holy Spirit that purifies and cleanses us at salvation continues to sanctify us, continues to work in us to make us holy. I mean, he tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit would be given, and it's the Holy Spirit who's going to convict the world of sin. But who is it that convicts us of sin? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He's that that voice in here when we're reading the Word of God who brings light into our darkness and sheds light onto our sin and helps us recognize and realize, oh, I've, I've missed the mark here. I have failed. I have fallen short. I have sinned against God. It's the Spirit of God that is sanctifying us, that is moving us more into the likeness of Jesus each and every day. Moment by moment, He is moving us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. He is the one who is sanctifying us. So here's the prerequisite of the work of the Holy Spirit operating in and through your life. If we aren't obedient, we hinder, we hurt the work of the Spirit. Where do you get that? Well, notice here in Ephesians 4.30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit for whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. How do I grieve him? All right, kids, how do you grieve your mom and dad? By doing something that hurts them, by disobeying them. If we're not careful, if we don't live our lives in obedience, we can grieve the Holy Spirit by saying stupid things. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by listening to ungodly things. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by thinking impure thoughts, by having impure emotions. If we're not careful, we will grieve the Holy Spirit. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, notice we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can quench Him. That word quench means that, that you're trying to snuff out the flame or the fire of the Spirit of God in your heart. He told uh, uh, Timothy through the, the penmanship of the Apostle Paul to fan into flame the Spirit of God within him. Don't, don't make him just a mere flicker. See, I think, I think what's happening in, in many lives today, and, and sometimes it happens in mine more often than I would care to admit, that a lot of times the flame, the fire of the Holy Spirit is just like a pilot light how many of you have gas ovens or stoves in your house? You have a, well, unless it's electric, but there's usually there's a little pilot light in there, and you turn it on, and right? I, and, and we're to be fully ablaze and fully aflame And the Spirit of God is supposed to be a full fire But what we're doing is we're quenching the Holy Spirit We're grieving the Holy Spirit We're causing Him to be simply nothing but a pilot light And then we wonder why we're so discouraged Why we're so defeated Why we can't see any victories in our lives Because you know what? The Spirit of God is not operating in full force Because we are quenching Him We are grieving Him And I believe, was it uh, one of the apostles, and I can't remember which one right now on the top of my head, but he says, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. When we resist, when we quench, when we grieve the Holy Spirit, because of disobedience in our lives, he can't operate and he will not operate in full force in us and through us. And maybe... We need to do what 1 John 1, 9 said, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can then get back to where we need to be. Number four, notice the personification of the Spirit. Why do I mention that? Because notice he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They are one. All of the attributes and all the characteristics, they are one. They're not three separate, they're one. So you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three. Right? Equal. Deuteronomy 6 says, The Lord your God is one. Isaiah forty four six says the Lord is one. We have one God, not three. Don't ask me how to explain it. I can't. There are God the Father. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. There are three separate entities, but they are one. I don't care how you try to explain it. With water can be gas, can be eyes can be liquid it's not the same thing you can talk about an egg it's still not the same thing everybody's trying to explain it so that we can understand it i don't care how you try to explain it what kind of tangible things you try to use to help explain how god the father god the son god spirit one they all fall short you can't explain it and don't try to wrap your mind around it you can't understand it it's just something you accept by faith there are a lot of things about what we believe the Bible teaches that in our finite natural selves we cannot understand because we are not finite, we are not all understanding, we're not all wise like God is. And one of these days when we die and we go to heaven, we'll know it all. But we don't know it all. Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't know it all. Now, I know that's sort of enlightening to some of us because we live our lives as if we know it all. And somehow in our pride, in our arrogance, we think that we can define God in a little box so that we can explain it. So that I can understand him, you can understand him. <sighs> you can't do that. You just can't. There's just some things you can't explain about God. You just accept them by faith. I know why they get everybody's attention. Notice John 16, 7 and 8. Nevertheless, notice what Jesus said. I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, notice the helper, the helper, he is defined with a name called the helper will come to you. But if I go, I will send, notice how he describes the the Holy Spirit in a personal pronoun, I will send him to you. He didn't say, I will send it to you. I will send him to you. And when he comes, not when it comes, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus described him in the form of a personal pronoun, he, meaning Jesus telling his disciples he is a person. He is a part of the Godhead, a part of the Trinity equal to God. John 16, 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, he. Why do I say that? Because in this age of, of Star Wars How many of you saw the last one that just came out? Not many of us Are you too embarrassed to say you did? I remember when uh, Matthew was young That was a while ago Star Wars came out Man we had all those figurines And you know he played with the The lightsaber and all that And the favorite saying in that is, the force be with you. The force. And the problem I think that we have sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit is that we talk to him as if he were a force. He is not a force. He is a person. He's not a force. Now he enforces, he empowers, he energizes, he equips, but he's not a force. He is a person. Of the Trinity, equally apart with God the Father, God the Son, He is God the Spirit, He is a person. So, as we dwell upon this person that has made His dwelling place within us, His home within us, infusing us with energy and with power, operating beyond the natural, in the supernatural, let's think of Him not as a force, but as a person who can be grieved, who can be quenched, and who can be resisted. He's a person. That's huge. Don't treat him like a force, for he's a part of the Godhead. He is God, the Spirit. Number five and number last, notice the possession of the Spirit to the disciples. He Has come upon you. But will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That is a preposition of location. He is going to come down upon them. And where do we get that? That is Acts chapter 2. We'll get there eventually. Not sure when. But in Acts chapter 2 we'll get there. The Holy Spirit will come down in Acts chapter 2. And will come upon them. And will reside in them. Once he comes upon them. When do we get the Holy Spirit? At salvation. We do, but why aren't we operating in the fullness of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, the equipping of the Spirit, the enabling of the Spirit, because of disobedience? Well, how do I operate more fully in the presence, the power, through the person of the Holy Spirit in my life? Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. so glorify God in your body? I don't know where you're writing this now, but make sure your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is not the temple of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And some of us are building a greater temple than others have. I know I'm working on my temple to be bigger. So I can store more of the spirit in me You skinny people are out of luck okay I have a bigger dwelling place for the spirit of God than you do Okay it doesn't operate like that I get it But you're not your own You were bought with a price And the Holy Spirit has built a permanent dwelling place inside of your heart Now he is to be at home And he has every right, get this, he has every right to go wherever he wants, to do whatever he wants, to ask whatever he wants, to change whatever he wants, to move the furniture if he wants, to take furniture out, to put stuff in if he wants. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit operating in sync with each other. And God the Spirit, who is dwelling in your heart, has every right to do whatever He wants because you are His temple. You are His dwelling place. And because of that, notice Ephesians 5 15 and 18. We're going to get to this a little bit later on, but I just want to mention this very quickly as we close. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit if we're going to operate in the strength of the Spirit. Notice it says in verse 15, Ephesians 5 Look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, not as unwise, but as wise. Being obedient, listening to the Holy Spirit, yielding to the Holy Spirit, learning what He's asking, how He wants to move, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is God's will for your life? Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not an option for us if we are to operate in the fullness of the empowerment of the Spirit of God to not only fulfill and to live the lives that He's called us to live, but to accomplish the mission that He's given us as individuals and in a church to do. We are commanded, it's not optional to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw a couple of Sundays ago, Jesus. Full of the Holy Spirit, moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. He set the example for us by he himself being full of the Holy Spirit and being led by the Spirit, using the power of the Spirit. We, like him, are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command to be filled. How are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Kind of what John said, he must increase. I must decrease. How are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Decrease yourself. Isn't that hard? Isn't that hard? I know some of you, Miss April, Charles Boswell. I'm not going to mention your name, but I'll point at you. You know who the problem is? Me. Not me in your life, but the me that you live with every day. Me. Eh.
1: Me, 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 mine, 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 mine. I want what I want. I want to do what I want.
0: And the more that little guy rises up, the less room you have for the Holy Spirit. You quench him, you resist him, you grieve him. We must die to ourselves so that as we do, we allow more room in here to be occupied by the Spirit of God. And the only way that's going to be possible is for us to release ourselves and let Him do it through us. I've asked, Kip, you won't come out here? Kip, are you asleep back there? Who do you have with us? Introduce this little young fellow with us. Rowan. He's a personality, isn't he? Give me five, bro. Take to after, he doesn't take after his mom. We know better than that. Right, mom? Yes. So we got the thing over there. <laughs> Come up everybody. i I want to ask you to do something. And I know you've already talked to your dad. I want you to pick that up right there. Can you do it? He can't do it. Okay. Hang on a second. This is the life that God has called us to live. Has that ever felt like that to you? Come on. Hasn't it? I can't do this. I can't live this life. I can't deal with all the pressures and the stress and the, the stuff. Right? right. You're not supposed to steal the show. Not (laughs) yet. Self. The mission that he's given us to do is like this. He knew before he gave it to them. Live the life that I've called you to live as my disciple and follow me. And then fulfill the mission that I've given you. He knew in advance, before he gave it to them, you can't do it it's like asking a two-year-old to mow your grass for you he can't do it he can't do it he's not big enough he's not strong enough he doesn't he can't and no matter how much pressure you put on him, it's not going to happen <laughs> kneel right there will you thank you <laughs> holy cow all right come here now try to pick it up dad this is a poor reflection of the holy spirit trust me this is why He's a lot like his dad, but you get the point. Thank you. Please get off the stage. (laughs) Some things you just can't plan, you know what I'm saying? That's way off the chart. There's a lot of people, a lot of people, And there are thousands of us who are members of this church. And obviously there are not thousands of us here because there are empty seats. Who answered the call to discipleship. Trusted in Jesus as their Savior. Had good intentions. They did. Studied the word and self-discipline and self-determination. And they built all this desire and all this... And they get out there and they fell flat on their faces... In discouragement and in defeat, they threw in the towel and walked away. Some of us in here are like that, but we keep coming every Sunday. And we keep telling Jesus, This life you've called me to live is impossible. I can't do it. He says, You know what? No, you can't. Can can we admit that? In our pride, in our arrogance, this narcissism that we build up in of ourselves To think we can do it We cannot independent apart From someone outside of ourselves That now resides in us His Holy Spirit to do it for us We cannot And you can Ugh! You want like he did You're just not going to be able to do it And maybe that's the reason you're frustrated Because you're not yielding to the strength The resource that God gave you And the Holy Spirit to come alongside you and to pick it up with you. The mission that he gave us as a church, we can't do without the Spirit either. For only he's going to fill the seats in this room. And no amount of singing or no, no showmanship, no facilities, no none of this is going to do it. Only he can do it.